0: Welcome to the Kingdom Community Podcast. Many in the body of Christ long for authentic community and a spiritual family to belong to. We exist to connect, equip, and send you into the world to fulfill your destiny and advance the kingdom of God on earth. Now, enjoy today's show. I'm going to talk to you this morning about the making of a modern-day Pharisee. So take your Bible, turn to Matthew 23. We're going to be just walking through different portions of Scripture, primarily in the Gospel of Matthew, the 23rd chapter. Do you know who the Pharisees were? I just want to give you a little bit of of historical background. By the time Jesus came on the scene, of course, the Pharisees were really the one of the prevalent religious parties, the Sadducees and the Pharisees. Right. And together they were um, and it was primarily the Sadducees that were the rulers of the Sanhedrin. The Sadducees were more like the liberal the, liberal in their theology. They were the um, aristocrats they were the upper middle class kind of elite type of people and the Pharisees, on the other hand, were more of uh, the common people, the religious leaders, obviously, but they were more of a grassroots movement. They were more of like working uh, popular among the working class people. And in the days of Christ, we're told that there were about Flavius Josephus, the historian, who himself, by the way, was a Pharisee, actually stated there were about 6,000 Pharisees in the days of Christ. The word Pharisee means separate ones, separate ones. So we go back to the history. Remember, in 586 B.C., the city of Jerusalem was captured by Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians After that period of time what evolved was really the kind of the precursor to the synagogue There's no more temple. So they begin to worship God in in prayer groups and uh, And and the idea of and of the synagogue began to emerge from there now what happened after that? the began um, someone by the name of Alexander the Great, you remember? Okay, so after the Babylonians, there was the, um, the, the party that ruled after that, I'm sorry, the people that ruled after that and then the persians and the medes and then after that we have the greeks under alexander the great now when alexander the great introduced what's known as the hellenistic period in jewish history he conquered persia in 332 bc and then he died nine years later and at that time, Judea was ruled by what's known as the Egyptian Hellenic Ptolemies until 198 B.C., when the Syrian Hellenic Seleucid Empire under Antiochus III seized control. Now, fast forward to 167 B.C., there's a king, a Seleucid king by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes or Antiochus IV. How many love history? All right. And sorry, I'm sorry if I'm boring you here, but... It really is important and so what ends up happening is this particular king he entered the temple and he offered what was called the abomination of desolation and he stripped the temple the Jewish temple of its money its ceremonial objects and then he imposed a program of forced Hellenization actually requiring the Jews to abandon their laws and customs and what happened and this precipitated what was known as the mass Maccabean revolt have you heard about the the Maccabean revolt now The Maccabean revolt, remember, this has been between the Old and the New Testament. There's 400 years of silence where we don't have any, you know, scriptures that were actually written. So during that time, the the Jewish people rose up under the Maccabeans, and they actually fought against them, and they recaptured the temple. And we know um, that that was the occasion when, you know, they lit the menorah, and they said they didn't have enough olive oil, but it ended up just supernaturally being sustained. and and so it's an amazing time in history. Now, in the midst of all of that, what happens is there is a group of leaders or people, a party, that emerged called the Pharisees out of the scribes and the sages. And as I said, their name comes from the Hebrew word parush, which means one who is separated. It May refer to their separation from the Gentiles, you know, because of the source of impurity, the Hellenization, the idolatry and all that was going on. And also from the irreligious Jews. So these were fundamentalists. These were men who really valued um, holiness. They valued the the, uh, law of Moses and also the oral teachings and traditions that were passed on. Now think about it really in a sense these guys were responsible for a move of God so think about it this way it's like historically we have seen this can you do you think Jesus came to establish denominations thousands of denominations I don't think so but unfortunately it is what it is they say in america there's over 400 different kinds of baptists yeah so we can't imagine this but what ends up happening in the beginning of all of these movements there's a sense typically where people are wanting what is good they want holiness they want righteousness they want purity, uh, to the Word of God. And so there's a revolt that, that kind of, and a reformation that occurs that is in protest to liberal theology, to worldliness, maybe to, you know, denying the gifts of the Spirit. And then eventually what ends up happening is these same denominations that started out in protest, we call them Protestants, we have the Holiness Movement, and we have, you know, the, the, before that the Anabaptists, and the Holiness Movement, movements and then the pentecostals and then the charismatics and then the neo-pentecostals and the third waivers and on and on and we see this throughout history and often the motive was always pure let's return to a bib- our biblical moorings. So let's return to to a move of God. let's go back and recapture the truth of the scripture. We believe that God wants to uh, pour out his spirit once again today but because of um, formalization and and, uh, lit- and and liturgy and all of these different things that have quenched the Holy Spirit, and the move of god that he wants to do has to move beyond what has happened like jesus said that you value the word of god to the pharisees more you value your traditions more than the word of god your traditions are more important than the word of god so we see the pharisees were in a sense can i just put it this way a revival movement they were in a sense a revival movement let's let's move away from all this worldliness and idolatry and and this compromise in our religious system and our and uh so on and let's capture the truth of the word of god that's a good thing isn't it but what ends up happening by the days of jesus wow these guys these purists these fundamentalists even though they were a grassroots movement they became very legalistic and they esteemed their tradition on par with the scripture what ends up happening is they not only preached a false gospel of works because they did introduce many many traditions and and so on but they also came to a place where their hearts had become corrupt their hearts had become corrupt well wow. and they were full of selfishness they were full of greed The things that they did, they did unto men and not really unto God. Jesus speaks so clearly in Matthew 23. You know, he he rebukes them. The strongest words he ever spoke to any people, any group, was to the Pharisees. Interestingly, not the Sadducees, the liberal theologians, but the Pharisees. And he said, you know... You guys have this outward facade you look so good you you put on a good show you seem to impress others but God sees your heart he knows what's really going on in your heart you know you do all of these things but yet deep down within what about your heart the same ones ended up murdering the author of life Wow While quoting the scripture, they murdered the author of life. How do we know today? Perhaps some of us have subtly become, or on the road at least, or in the making of becoming modern day Pharisees. I want to look this morning at three symptoms of a modern day Pharisee. Looking at the pharisees in the gospel of jesus christ first of all pharisees know what to say but they do not do what they say they know the right words they know what to say but they don't practice what they preach in other words if we look at jesus words in matthew 23 1 through 3 jesus Speaks to the crowd and says the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees are the official interpreters of the law of Moses So practice and obey whatever they tell you But don't follow their example for they don't practice what they teach I've been thinking about that a lot. You know as we often talk about that don't we we say oh We need to practice what we preach how many believe that we all at different times in our walk with God, there's contradiction in what we believe and even what we say and how we're living. Can you be honest this morning and say, yeah, there has been times in my life, perhaps this morning, there's a, an apparent contradiction to what you believe, what you teach, what you share, what you speak with how you're actually living. That's what the Pharisees we're guilty of Jesus didn't say they're all false teachers. Don't listen to them He said the Pharisees have been set up in Moses seat Listen to what they say, but don't do as they do. Don't practice what they uh, Practice what they say, but don't live The way they're living because they don't they don't practice what they're doing themselves Jesus says in Mark chapter 7 verse 6 speaking to the Pharisees. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites as it is written. This people honors me with their lips but their heart is far from me. Their heart is far from me. They developed ways of appearing to be godly without really preferring and prioritizing God in their hearts. Wow. This is amazing guys. They, they, they actually had developed ways of appearing godly. They had an outward facade. They, they put on a show, a display. In fact, the word hypocrite that Jesus used in the Greek language means of a play actor. Someone when they would put masks on and they would do drama and they would act. And this is what Jesus was saying of the Pharisees. You put on a mask. You, you appear This way to men, but God sees your hearts. He knows what you're really, really like. Going on, Matthew 23, 25 through 28. Pharisees, you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside you're full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee. First clean the inside of the cup and the plate that the outside may also be clean You are like whitewashed tombs which outwardly appear beautiful But within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness Some translations say iniquity. You look good. You appear righteous, but God looks where? at your heart and what does he say he says i see two things in you pharisees hypocrisy contradiction what you say what you teach what you proclaim and what is really in your heart contradicts that in fact he uses the word iniquity or lawlessness depending on the translation and the word literally means no law. We, there's a, a theological term called antinomianism, and it comes from this Greek word, which means not only are there people that are legalistic and they teach that we are saved by works, but the other extreme, because, by the way, that, that's what the Pharisees were, right? They had all these laws, all these traditions, all these customs, and, you know, like they had all these laws on the Sabbath day journey, for example. And, you know, one of the things that they taught was if you are walking through, say, a wheat field on the Sabbath, you need to wear a light-soled shoe or sandal because a heavy-soled shoe might result in you inadvertently crushing some grain, and that would constitute working on the Sabbath. So... The Pharisees were masters at making sure that people conform to the outward but in their heart the Bible says that they were full of dead men's bones and which means they were lawless they were violating God's law even though outwardly they were so meticulous and and painstaking and they're trying to trying to look like they were Obeying the law, but inwardly God says your heart is far from me Your heart is far from me the Sermon on the mountain in Matthew 5 right Jesus talks about those Who commit adultery physically, but then he says but if you look with lust you commit adultery in your heart those who? actually commit the physical act of murder but then he says if you hate someone in your heart you commit murder in your heart and he goes on and on and he talks about the heart of man this god what looks at the heart isn't that true for samuel 16 verse 7 says that men look at the outward but god looks at the heart god looks at our heart he sees what we're really life Lawful on the outside, but full of lawlessness on the inside. Bleached exterior walls, full of death. A conservative moral and religious profile, but chasing sin with every secret click. God knows what we're really like, right? Do we, by our lifestyle, Contradict what we teach preach what we share with other people We say brother, I know you're going through a hard time. I'm going to pray for you, but do we really pray? In Hebrews 13 it says remember those who are suffering as if you yourself were suffering Remember those who are in prison as if you were in prison I bet if you were suffering if I was suffering if I was in prison I'd pray a little bit differently than the way I pray for people that I know are going through that if it was me in other words This is why I'm saying guys that I'm not saying that I'm a Pharisee or you're a Pharisee But I'm saying if we're not careful we may have some residual qualities of pharisaism in our hearts in our lives and if left unchecked they can grow and develop into full-blown pharisaism because every move of god started off pure started off with a good heart a good motive but then later they became legalistic i mean there's so many that have moved away from that and then we talk about the kingdom right and we believe in the kingdom, we want to see your kingdom come. We we sing those songs, and yet in many times what are we doing? We're building our own kingdom. There are many churches, many denominations that are more focused on their denomination than they really are in God's kingdom. We talk about the kingdom, we want to see the kingdom come, but are we building our own kingdom? We talk about prayer. We preach about prayer. We, we preach about holiness, but maybe we, we indulge in secret sin. We, we speak about loving people, but then we gossip. We bless God. We praise him while we're in church, but then we curse those made in his own image who cut us off on the freeway. Come on, if you can't say amen, you can say ouch. You see... We talk to others about their need for personal relationship with Jesus, but are we really intimate with him? Some pastors the only time they pray is before they preach There are many pastors who the only time they read the word is when they're preparing sermon We have to be in a place where we're really being honest about a relationship. We're in danger of developing ways to appear godly without really preferring and prioritizing God in our hearts. I know we're all sinners. I get that. I recognize there's there's dissonance between what we speak and how we live. There's always going to be that this side of eternity, right? Because we're an always struggle. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about consistent <laughs> contradiction. When things are really not inwardly who we say we are outwardly. And I want to tell you this morning that it is so easy to get there if we're not careful. I've been there many times in my life. I've been there where I talk to people about praying and then I'm not praying the way I should. You know, we talk about love, but inwardly we're angry at someone. We're, we're upset. We're harboring a grudge or bitterness. You see, the Pharisees were happy to point out sin in others. Isn't that true? We can can counsel people. We try to advise people at times, and we should do that. But then what happens is there's things in our own life. And Jesus said, take the speck of the board out of your own eye before you can take the speck out of someone else's eye. So the Pharisees, they had this, you know, ostentatious type faith. They look good, but inwardly. There was bondage, sin, bitterness. The Bible says hypocrisy and iniquity. We talk about how people, you can be free in Jesus, right? You can be free. He can break every chain, but then we're bound in chains. Wow. God wants to help us be real. He wants us to be honest and real about our situation. Where are we at? He loves the sinner. What's the difference between the Pharisee and the tax collector and the prostitute? Right. What did he say? I didn't come for the healthy, but those who are Sick right now was that saying the Pharisees weren't sick? No, but they didn't see themselves as sick Right. He said they didn't see themselves as in need of a physician all good I'm okay rather than being humble and coming before God Jesus told a shocking parable one time he said there were two men that went up into the temple to pray there was a Pharisee and then there was this terrible tax collector the Pharisee lifted up his voice In the Greek it says he prayed to himself in other words, his prayer wasn't even heard by God. It was a prayer that really didn't even met, didn't even leave the earthly realm or the soulish realm. He prayed to himself and he said, God, I thank you that I'm not like this sinful tax collector here. I'm a righteous man. I go to church regularly. I serve. I give. I tithe. I do all these things. But. The tax collector, he he wouldn't even lift up his head. But he beat his breast and he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus looked at the crowd and he said, so who do you think was a righteous person? In that day, most people would have said, that's a no-brainer, the Pharisees. That's a tax collector. They're evil. They're wicked. They steal from us. You know, they, they, they do all these terrible things. And Jesus shocked them by saying, the tax collector went away justified, forgiven, and because he humbled himself. And the more I walk with God, the more I realize that I have a bit of Pharisee in me. And I want to purge that out. I want to get that out. I, I recognize i'm not any better than anyone else I'll, I'll give verbal assent to that but then i look at others and i think man they are messed up especially if they call themselves christians and then the lifestyle is so contradictory and i realize that obviously jesus rebuked the pharisees but there's a place of even self-righteousness that can creep into our hearts if we're not careful wow Secondly, the Pharisees practiced their faith to be seen by others. They valued platforms, positions, and pulpits. Jesus said they did all their deeds to be seen by others, Matthew 23, 5. The Pharisees prayed to be seen by others, Matthew 6, 5. They served the poor to receive the accolades, accolades from men. They even obeyed the scriptures to be seen by others. Matthew 6. And Jesus said that they had received what they really wanted. They had received the fullness of their reward, which is what? Recognition and esteem from others in this life. But there would be nothing for them in eternity. Wow. Those are strong words. Jesus speaks. Matthew 6 1 beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them for then you'll have no reward from your father who's in heaven to let your left hand know what your right hand is doing you don't have to post it on Facebook you don't have to tell everybody how God used you this week keep it humble the Bible says don't praise yourself let another man praise you what does that mean don't toot your own horn let somebody toot your, own, your horn. Let others see. Jesus said, "Go and tell no man." You don't have to. Say, he didn't have to say, "Hey guys, please call for the editor of the Jerusalem Post and tell him he needs to publish this story." Blind Bartimaeus healed. <laughs> Jesus was humble, and I'm saying that if we can learn humility, if we can learn how to really hide behind the cross and really give God all the glory we don't have to tell people how God's using us we don't have to talk about it I mean I recognize we can share testimonies and I know there's a fine line between sharing a testimony to build others up but we have to go it all goes back to our heart doesn't it what is our motive what is our ambition The more I follow jesus the more I walk with him the more I realize he challenges me On the motives of my heart and the things that I do That I don't do it to be seen by men I don't do it to be recognized by other that my motive is to do what is right To love people to love god And I don't need to do it to be seen by men. I don't need a position I don't need a pulpit I don't need a platform. I don't need to be in ministry. I don't need to be in any position. I honestly believe I can say that in my heart. In fact, to be very honest, I don't like it. And Paul said, woe unto me if I cannot preach the gospel. If, if you are wanting the position after, I'll tell you, in the beginning it might seem attractive, but after you do it for a while, there's nothing attractive about it. Yes, there's a reward in seeing people's lives change. Praise God for that. But the hardship, the difficulty, the misunderstanding, the accusations, even the things that happen, you come to a point where you're just like, I really don't need this. But then God says, what are you going to do? Right? What are you going to do? And then when God begins to deal with your heart and he begins to deal with your motives and he begins to challenge you about things and he begins to expose things because he's wanting us to walk in freedom and acknowledge those areas in our life that need healed and then we can get offended and then what do we do? We, we, create, we create ways to try to dodge what God's trying to deal with in our lives and we move into a place of deflection rather than accepting what God is trying to do. And God loves us so much that He is going to speak the truth to us in our secret place as we are walking before the Lord and we're really desiring to know the truth. Holy Spirit's going to speak to us. He's going to convict us. He's going to show us those things that are honoring. And we just need to own it. We just need to say, that's right, Lord. Yeah, I'm that person, right? So James, John, Peter, 12 disciples. Jesus had been speaking about how they needed to eat his flesh and drink his blood and They were the multitudes great multitudes had been following him But at that point it says that many of them became offended and they turned away from jesus They said this is a harsh Saying is what the greek says who can do it who can accept it who can do it? And then jesus turns and he looks at the 12 and he says what about you guys? Do you want to go? Peter said where are we going to go? You alone have the words of eternal life. Where are we going to go? Where are we going to turn? Yeah, it might be difficult at times. And and it might, might be, you know, there might be things offending us and in our lives, and our heart. And God is working in us. But we get to the point where we just say, well, where am I going to go? Where am I going to turn? Only you have the words of eternal life, Lord. So... There's no other recourse. I'm going to finish my race. I'm going to stick it out. I'm going to endure to the end. God, I don't need recognition. I just need to do this for you. I love the words of the Apostle Paul, and he wrote it from a prison cell. And he said in Timothy, he said, Therefore, I endure all things for the sake of the elect that they may be saved. What does he saying? Here I am in prison, being beaten, flogged. I'm in chains, I'm not eating. It's cold. It's damp. I'm isolated. All of these things are happening. They didn't have television. They didn't have internet. I didn't have any of these things. And Paul says, but it's okay. Because I will endure all things in order that when I get out, somebody's going to interview me. And put a video on YouTube and it's gonna help my ministry now he didn't say that he said I'm gonna do it for the sake of being a blessing to others so they can hear the gospel so whatever I go through the misunderstanding the confusion all of the pain the isolation Paul talked about how people had rejected him and abandoned him he said that's okay there's people that God knows need to hear the gospel so i'm going to endure this so they can hear the gospel a soul a person that needs jesus that's our mission that's what it's all about and that leads to our third point the pharisees lacked love for people in need particularly the derelicts the disenfranchised right i mean not only did they hate jesus but the most glaring warning in the gospel is that the pharisees lack love for people especially people in need jesus rebukes them matthew 23 23 and 24 you tithe mint dill and cumin and you have neglected the weightier matters of the law justice and mercy and faithfulness these you ought to have done without neglecting the other you blind guides you strain on a gnat and you swallow a camel but i tithe every week but in your heart you despise in your heart there's a lack of love. In our hearts at times, there are people that we find difficult to love. There are people that every one of us finds difficult to accept and be around for whatever reason. But these are the Father's children. They're the ones the Father loves. He gave his son and his son shed his blood for them just as much as for me. And when we look at the Pharisees, they wanted to be around the elite, right? They wanted to be around the people just like them. And they wouldn't associate with the tax collector, with the prostitute, with the sinner. And they rebuked Jesus. Why are you hanging around with them, Jesus? Why are you associating with you? They had no desire to help the poor, the oppressed, the needy. They looked down on Jesus for doing it. They despised Jesus for healing a man's withered hand because it was on the Sabbath. They cursed Jesus for casting a demon out of another man instead of rejoicing that he was finally free. Can you believe that? I mean, come on. Oh, he does it by Beelzebub, right? No kidding. There was a time when when someone I know was preaching in a church, pastoring a church, and this pastor was trying to change the culture in the church regarding worship. And he was introducing how many know there was a time when there was a big transition going on from traditional worship, you know, hymns and so on. And then modern worship. So this is in the time of transitioning into modern worship. And this church was kind of behind the times. And so he was introducing um, some modern worship. And the church was still doing both. And people rose up in the church against him and said and tried to try to kick him out and and wrote a letter to everybody and, and so on trying to kick him out of the church and said that that what he's trying to do and the reason why he's trying to change the worship moving away from hymns and traditional music into modern worship is because there's an anointing on this traditional worship on these hymns and the demons in the pastor couldn't handle the anointing gotta love it right Phariseeism 101 (laughs) Wow really but praise God I go to church every week the same church story is told a revival breaks out God is moving things are happening people are coming in and this church had pews and on the back on the on the side of the pews there were these plaques that said donated by this family and of course there's these same people that were causing all this problem they always sat in that row because that was their pew it had their plaque on it and their family member and and what ended up happening is all these new people came in sinners they were getting saved there was a move of God and and uh, people came in one night before they'd arrived there and sat in that pew and uh, this one woman walked up to them and actually said excuse me but you can't sit there that's our pew And the people, it was their first time in the church, they got up and walked out of the church, and I understand they never came back. Pharisaism. Well, that's really going to win somebody to Jesus, right? That's going to really make them feel welcome. Wow. (laughs) You tithe, mint, dill, and cumin, but you neglect the weightier matters. Justice, mercy, faithfulness. Wow. Pharisees find every way to leverage the law to walk the long way around the half-dead man Lying in the middle of the road right in front of them. What am I talking about the Good Samaritan? Why did Jesus tell the story of the Good Samaritan? If you read it in its context in Luke chapter 10 Someone came to Jesus the teacher of the law and he said teacher answer me What must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then Luke comments, wanting to justify himself, he said, Lord, who then is my neighbor? Jesus told the story of the good Samaritan to answer and address that question. It would be kind of like this today. There was a, a bishop... And the bishop was going down the road, and he saw this family. Their car had broken down. They were poor. They lived in their car. They didn't have any food. They had no way to fix their car. But he was in a hurry to get to his council meeting, and so he just passed them by. Next, a pastor drove by. But the pastor was on his way to church, and he didn't have time to help them, so he continued on. But next... The president of the Atheist Club drove by (laughs) and he saw what was going on and he stopped and he paid for the car to be referred to be to be fixed. And then he asked them how they were going in terms of food and and found out that things weren't going well. So he, he bought them a meal and then realized they were homeless and they had nowhere to stay. So he put them and provided accommodation for them for two months. And then he was able to refer them to some business people that he knew so that they were able to get jobs and get established and put back on their feet again. When Jesus told that parable, the effect, the impact was just as strong as what I just shared right now. It was a Samaritan, the Jews hated Samaritans. That was atheists. You know, First Corinthians thirteen, we call it the love chapter, don't we? We quote it at weddings, we use it in marriage counseling. We even talk about how God wants love in his church among his people and we know Jesus and this Will be you know this but by, by this all men will know you're my disciples by your love for one another But when we read first corinthians 13 and and I, I do just want to read the first seven verses for a moment It's so powerful if I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels but Didn't have love for others. I'd only be a noisy gong or clanging cymbal if I had the gift of prophecy, and I understand um, All of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge and if I had such faith that I could move mountains, but didn't love others I would be nothing If I gave everything I had to the poor and even sacrificed my body I could boast about it, but if I didn't love others I would have gained nothing Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful. It's not proud. It's not rude. It doesn't demand its own way. It's not irritable, and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, endures through every circumstance. Then the last verse says, these three things will last forever, faith, hope and love and the greatest of these is love. Wow. But do you realize the context of what was going on here? So so Paul is addressing a church that was very spiritual. They were charismatic. the gifts of the spirit were in operation. In First Corinthians chapter 1 verse 7 he says you you come behind a no spiritual gift And he's saying, look you guys, uh, you prophesy, you move in healing, you see deliverance, you see miracles, you see all this stuff happen, and you desire the gifts of the Spirit, and you want the gifts of the Spirit, but you actually are competing with others for who can, who can prophesy the most. Come on now. And you're competing with others to be recognized as the most spiritual. And you've got all this stuff going on and you're functioning and flowing in the gifts of the Spirit but there's division there's discord there's a lack of love and there's problems and what does he say there's false teaching there's immorality so what does he do he talks to them in the 12th chapter 1st Corinthians about the gifts he articulates those he he enumerates those gifts and he talks about the manifestations of the spirit and then he ends up shifting in chapter 13 and saying okay those gifts are legit they're for today but let me show you a more excellent way let me show you a more excellent way you can flow and function in all the gifts but if you don't have love it's all in vain and then the 14th chapter, verse one, he says, eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially that you might prophesy, because prophecy is for the edification of the church, but pursue the way of love. Pursue the way of love, because you can have the gifts, but if you don't have love, what is it? The gifts of the spirit can captivate a person. If you are being used by God to to minister to someone, particularly a non-believer or someone who doesn't understand the things of God, Paul talked about prophesying. If an unbeliever or an uninformed person comes in and you prophesy, and the secret of their hearts are laid bare, and they fall down and they worship and say, "Surely God is in your midst." The gifts of the spirit will captivate and can captivate people but love will keep them love will keep them people don't care how much we can prophesy can i be honest people care is this a safe place is this a place where i'm going to be loved jesus said by this all men will know that you're my disciples by your prophetic anointing by how many demons you've cast out by how many legs have grown out By how many people you've healed now, I believe in all of that and we need to see more of it But the bottom line is it's about love It's about loving people. Do we love them? Do we love the unlovely? Do we love those who are rejected by society? Do we love those that everybody else has given up on? Do we love our enemies? Do we love those who have offended us? we would love people the way Jesus loves them wow we'd have a real revival we'd have a real revival you know it's possible guys to have everything right but yet still be wrong it's it's possible to have everything right but still be wrong what do I mean by that in in uh, Revelation 2 verses 1 through 7 there's a church there called the church in Ephesus and Jesus speaks to them you know this church was forged in the crucible of a white-hot spiritual revival that dramatically impacted their city it was a move of God's Spirit characterized by powerful preaching extraordinary miracles profound repentance signs and wonders and salvation of the multitude you can read about it in Acts chapter 19 God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul's Even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick Diseases left them evil spirits went out of them This became known to all Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus And fear fell on them all and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified And then it talks about how they brought all their occult paraphernalia And they burned it in a fire you remember the story What an amazing move of God this church this was birthed in in a real revival and they also were the recipients of Paul's most deep um, theological uh, epistle, e- Ephesians, the revelation that was given to them. And yet, here they are. Jesus Himself ends up writing a, a, a letter to them through through the hands of the Apostle John, speaking to them about how they'd fallen short. How They've fallen short he he says in verse 2 and 3 I know your works your labor your patience You cannot bear those who are evil you've tested those who say they're apostles and are not you found them liars You persevered and you have patience and you've labored for my name's sake and you've not become weary They did all of these things well But yet verse 4 nevertheless I have this against you what you've left your first love You've fallen from your first love you can have everything right but yet still be wrong because you might have sound doctrine you might have uh, people that work hard you might have people that are are conforming to an you know an outward form of godliness and and even separating themselves from the world like the Pharisees did but deep down in your heart if you don't have love we just go through the motions we go through the mechanics of our worship with god of our wor- of our love for other people right who says, is he talking about love for God or love for others? I believe it's both. First John chapter 5, verse 1 says this. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Hallelujah. You believe that this morning? Now don't don't you wish he would have just stopped right there? Whoever believes Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Okay, but then what about the next part? And everyone who loves him who begot also loves who is begotten of him. In other words, if you love dad, if you love daddy, you're gonna love his kids. That's what he's saying. If you love daddy, you got to love his kids. And if you don't, he continues. He's very strong. First John four twenty and twenty one. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command: Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. When your passion for God cools off, your core, your compassion for others will also wane wow look at this first john 3 14 through 18 if we love our brothers and sisters who are believers it proves that we have passed from death to life whoa whoa if we love people that is the proof of authentic christianity <laughs> Thanks for tuning in to the Kingdom Community Podcast. To learn more about us, including how to connect with our Kingdom community, please visit our website, kingdomcommunity.global. If you're enjoying this show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts so other listeners like you can be encouraged. We really appreciate that effort, and we hope you will join us again in the next episode of the Kingdom Community Podcast.